Welcome, everyone. I was going to say to our inaugural, but I'm going to have to say re-inaugural, if I can say that. I don't think I say that. Sunday night worship. Welcome back. It's good to be back. Um, our first song this evening is number 841. 841. If the skies above you are gray, you are feeling so blue. If your cares and burdens seem great all the whole day through, there's a silver lining that shines in the heavenly land. Look by faith and see it, my friend, trust in his promises grand. And be happy, press on to the goal, trust him who leads you, he will keep your soul, let home be faithful, look to him and pray, lift your voice and praise him in song, sing and be happy today. Often we are troubled and tired, sick with sorrow and pain. There are others living in, blessed with earthly gain. Take new courage, we cannot tell what the morrow may bring. When the dark clouds vanish away, then your heart truly can sing. Sing and be happy, press on to the goal, trust him. Who leads you, he will keep your soul. Let all be faithful, look to him and pray. Lift your voice and praise him in song. Sing and be happy today. Oft we fail to see the rainbow up in heaven's fair sky. When it seems the fortunes of earth frown and pass us by, there are things we know that are worth more than silver and gold. If we hope and trust him each day, we shall have pleasure untold. Sing and be happy, press on to the goal, trust him. Who leads you, he will keep your soul. Let all be faithful, look to him and pray. Lift your voice and praise him in song. Sing and be happy today. Be safe. Next song is number 871, In His Time. <laughs> That's the song we have uh, scripture reading and prayer uh, by John Kelly. 871. Lord, be 
Let's pray at this time. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this time to be together, to, to sing praises to you. And Father, that we can be singing and be happy, knowing that you've done all that you've done for us through your Son. Father, that you've blessed us with forgiveness, that you've blessed us with help, with peace of mind, Father. We just pray that we will take advantage of those things and, and realize that you're always there for us and always there with us. Father, we just thank you so much for Brother Rick tonight. We pray that you'll bless him as we continue to sing. Brother Chris, as he gives us a lesson. Brother Dave, as he works with the young people and all the other things that go on, Father, here. For the elders, we ask your blessings on them. For the deacons, Father. And for every member that's here tonight, that's been here this morning. And Father, we're just so thankful that we can be together again tonight and Wednesday night, and Sunday morning. And Father, we just thank you so much that you've blessed us as a congregation in so many ways with this pandemic, <clears throat> that you've blessed so many of us to, to have it, but to get over it. And Father, that you've blessed so many of us not to even get it, Father, and we just thank you so much. We thank you so much that you've allowed the doctors and those who've come up with vaccines to help, Father, prevent us from getting that disease. And we're, we're thankful for that for the knowledge that you allow the doctors to have, and, Father, for uh, just those blessings that we have in this, in this age, Father. Father, we're thankful for all those who plan to teach on Wednesday night, all those who teach uh, Children's Bible Hour. Father, for all those who, who have a part in the worship, we just thank you so much that you've allowed people to, to get back to normal, Father, as we try to teach and preach and, and consider one another, Father, and to love and good works, Father. Father, we do pray for the many that are sick, and we do pray, Father, at this time, especially for Brother Wayne Stevens, that you'll bless him for the issues that he faces, Father, that you will help those things to improve with him, with Carol Galloway and the, and the issues that she faces and the kidney stone that she has that may be able to be removed. For Yvonne Cornell and Dottie Hager, Father, as they prepare for knee surgery, that you'll bless them with with strength and, and no father and no infections, Father, after the surgery. Father, we just pray for everyone else that we know of that are facing cancer and facing other issues. We just ask your blessings on them and on the medicines that's being used. And again, Father, we're thankful for the, the age in which we live that so many things are available now that didn't used to be that helps prolong our lives. And Father, we pray that our lives will be used and used for you. Father, we do thank you for all those who have been examples to us through the years of, of Christianity, Father, that helps motivate us to, to, to do those things which you'd have us to do, those who have gone on before us now with the Cooper family and, and others, Father, that have passed away, Brother Garlic and, and, even, and Kevin Large, and thinking back over the, the time here, and Bob Wilson, Father, and, and so many that we've lost and, that have been examples of Christians to us. We just thank you for them and pray that we can continue that characteristic, Father, as we show others and continue to strive to be like you. Father, just help us through this night. Forgive us of our sins that we've committed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. 13 through 18. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them that are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Song of Invitation will be number 270 if you're using your books. We'll stand and sing before lesson number 717, Victory in Jesus. Sing all three verses. <clears throat> I heard an old, old story how a saint came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, how his precious blood touched only. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory.
let's let's dig into our study tonight. Uh, this is the question that I was asked so many times over the last year and a half or two years or so. Uh, people would look at me and almost jokingly, but kind of not jokingly, say, "You think this is the end? Like, what's going on? The earthquakes in South America and the volcanoes and the pandemic and the hurricanes and it just seemed like everything started hitting at once and." Everybody's minds kind of went to the same spot, I think. Is this the end? And so I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that while we had some time together tonight. Uh, what does the end look like? And, and how's that going to function? And what can we expect? And things like that. Because there is a prevalent myth around Christianity uh, that most Christians believe in that's not actually biblical. And so I wanted to think through a little bit of that tonight. Uh, to begin with, uh, this, this myth is called premillennialism. It's a big word, but it basically means that God messed up. Uh, and so he's going to eventually come back and he's going to set up his kingdom and he's going to reign on the earth for a thousand years in Jerusalem on David's literal throne uh, and all the world's going to come to him and, and he's going to have uh, a thousand years of peace there. And so uh, when all these things started dominoes falling, you know, therefore, I don't know what, it, what month it was, but it kinda, you just kind of looked over your shoulder every now and then thinking, what's next? Uh, and so when all those things started falling into place, uh, I think a lot of people, uh, at least our friends that buy into the premillennialism myth, uh, started thinking, well, maybe this is it, you know, and it, uh, no fault there, but let's, let's think biblically about this matter. And so did God mess up? The idea here is that he came to set up this thousand-year kingdom. He came to set up a, a literal, physical kingdom on the earth the first time around. When Jesus came in the first century, his agenda, they say, was to set up a literal kingdom in Jerusalem. He was going to rule there and sit again on David's throne and restore the dynasty back to its form, uh, back to its glory that they had under Solomon and under David. So obviously, like we've been talking about on Mark, uh, just as a very easy test case, you know that that's not what he came to do. Just on the very surface level reading of, of Scripture, uh, and especially as we've dug, dug deep into Mark over the last several weeks, you know that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, to pull mankind out of our spiritual condition, to give us hope for the afterlife. But his agenda was never and will never be to set up a phys physical earthly kingdom uh, here on the earth. That's just not what he came to do. Uh, and so the idea, the myth here behind premillennialism is, well, God messed up because he wasn't able to set up his kingdom here on the earth because the Jews ended up killing him. They stopped him from setting up this kingdom. And if you stop and think about it for just a second... Who wants to stand in the way of God? If, if he really wanted to accomplish something, he's going to accomplish it whether I stand in his way or not. Uh, and so just on, on the face of it, if you stop and think about it for a second, you begin to see uh, through this fallacy uh, that we know as premillennialism today. But it has taken the, store, uh, the, the world by storm, especially lately. You're probably familiar uh, with some books by, uh, by Tim LaHaye and some other author. I, I can't bring his, his name up right now, uh, but they've formed these books over the last probably 20 or 30 years or so uh, that talk, it's a fictional tale that 
talks about what the end times will look like, and it just kind of brings all this stuff to life for you. And while it's a really great story, it's not centered in Bible. It's not, it's not a scriptural theology. And so we want to think biblically about this. And so what does the end look like? What will the end look like? Well, let's, let's, let's pull up some verses real quick. I think something's happened to my clicker, Andy. Will that help me? We'll run without it. All right. So, if you got your Bibles, turn over to First John chapter two. First John chapter two. Let's just think. Yeah, there it is. Good. Uh, let's think biblically about this matter because, like we like we say, there's so much story, so much effort. So many intricate moving details that, uh, that premillennialism has called up. It's kind of hard to see the forest for the trees. It's kind of hard to see the truth because there's this massive story that's just really interesting and so much of the world buys into. It's kind of hard to see the truth while the truth is very, very simple. Um, so listen to what he says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. This is written by the Apostle John. Toward the end of his life, he writes these, these four letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then, of course, Revelation, uh, to, to the church. He's an older man at this point. He's nearing the end of his life, uh, and he wants to set the record straight, specifically here, uh, about the end. 1st John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. There's a couple of things I want you to get from that really short verse, right? We hear a lot of talk in Scripture as well as in um, premillennialism about the Antichrist. It's one of the terms, one of the roles, I guess, the titles that premillennialists have pulled out of Scripture and they've, they've you know, kind of used it for their own purposes and, and they've built this world and agenda around this Antichrist making it a singular person who comes toward the end of time and he's going to bring the fight against God uh, and he's, he's going to be the focal point behind the resistance that's directed toward God and his coming kingdom. And so John says, well, there's many antichrists right now, right? Uh, it's, it's that he's coming, but that there's many antichrists right now. And he's, John's simply saying something that you're already aware of. Many people are anti. Christ, or against Christ. They speak against, work against, live against Christ. And so he says that those, those people are here now, they're coming, they're going to be here all the time. But also what I want you to see here uh, is what he says in, in the very opening verse here, uh, the very opening words, children, it is the last hour. The biblical writers were convinced that they were living in the last days. They were convinced that Jesus was coming back very quickly. If you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter also talks about this idea that Jesus is coming back very quickly. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 20. He's talking about Jesus here. He says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Well, when did, when did Jesus, when was he manifested? When was he here during the last times? And so if you want to stop and put a calendar on when the last times will happen, when are the last days? Well, you're living in them, 
Right now is the last, last days, right? Uh, and so when people ask me this question, I got a little snarky after about the 25th person said something. <laughs> and do you think it's the last times? I said, yeah, I, I do. I, I'm positive that, that it's the last times, but I probably don't think it is. I don't, I don't, you know, I can't really tell, but I'm positive. And they kind of walked away and they looked at me weird. So <laughs> I didn't say that anymore uh, because it was confusing. But here's what I mean by that. Peter says, you're living in the last days. He was living in the last days. Peter would say, anything, anybody that was alive, when Christ came, all the way until when we're alive right now, he says, those are the last days. And you better be prepared for when Jesus comes back because you don't know when it's going to happen. That's just the long and short of it. There's, there's not going to be signs, right? Turn to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. Like we say, the, the, uh, the myths surrounding the end times are very convoluted. I mean, the story is just very large, and it's very sensational, and it makes for a really great read, but it's just not Bible. Um, here's Bible. Bible's, the, the, the scriptural stance on this is very, very simple and very, very short, right? There's not going to be a whole lot of signs. In fact, there's not going to be any signs. That'll confirm to you that you that Jesus is about to return. There's not going to be any signs. Um, premillennialism, this myth says that there's going to be all these signs, and you're going to be able to mark it, right? And, and there's the Antichrist is coming, and there's going to be uh, this reign of terror, and there's going to be all wars and famines, and all the world's going to be going to pot. Well, hello. <laughs> We've been doing that for the last 2,000 years. It hasn't just been the last two years, right? The world's, Paul would say, evil in his own day. We'll, we'll get to that verse in just a second, but let, let's, let's camp out for just a minute or two in Mark chapter 13, verses 32 through 37. Listen to what Jesus, Jesus himself says in this passage. He says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. He says, you don't know it. I don't know it. No one knows it. Not even the angels in heaven. He says, these guys live next to God. They dwell in His presence. These are the most powerful, fierce, amazing beings that were ever created. They don't know when He's coming back. He hasn't let them in on it. But not only that, not even the Son knows. Jesus, while He was on earth, wasn't privy to when He was coming back. I don't know if He is right now or not. He says here, as you, as you finish up verse 32, but only the Father. Only the Father knows when He's coming back. He set a time, right? We're familiar with that verse. He set a time. There, there's a point in history at which He's going to say, enough. And He's going to send Jesus back. And there's going to be the judgment day, and those, of us, those who have died in Christ will rise first, and we'll get to that too. But at that point, He's coming back, and only the Father knows when that what that day is, when that hour is coming. So Jesus says this in verse 33. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So what's Jesus saying there? You don't know. I don't know when he's coming back. I can't answer that question. I wish I could give you a day. That'd be really nice, right? In 2032, Jesus is coming back. 
May 2nd. Be ready. That's all he says, right? Uh, you remember a couple years ago when the Incan calendar co- uh, ran out? Y'all remember that? Every time I heard about that, I rolled my eyes so hard back in my head, it hurt. Scripture doesn't tell us a day. If you think the Incans were in charge of when Jesus was going to come back, hey, we need to sit down and have a Bible study. Um, <laughs> so Jesus is saying, I can't tell you when the day is going to come because I don't even know myself. But the salient point you need to walk away from this with is be ready. You be ready to go at any moment. Because even if he doesn't come, you might leave at any time. You don't know when. You don't know when it's going to happen. And so he says, be ready. Live your life in such a way that you're ready to meet him at any moment. Because there's not going to be signs. There's not going to be evidence, arrows, saying, hey, Jesus is about to come back. That's not, that's not, that's not Bible. Now, the myth, premillennialism, will, will tell you that there's all these signs, but you can't find those in, in the Bible. And so I want to think biblically about this because the end times is a biblical topic, right? I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to be um, hurtful or, or thoughtless as we talk about this topic. I don't want to be uh, snarky or anything like that. But I want to think about biblical Ideals, biblical topics, biblically. I want to go back to the Bible and see what he has to say about these things. Because these are his things. I don't know what these things are. I don't know anything about the end times. I have to go back to Scripture to be able to figure that stuff out. And then once I read it, I study it, we can all figure it out together. He's clear, right? Even Jesus said, "I I don't know when the day or the hour that I'm coming back is. I know I'm coming back. So you be ready. That's the point we need to walk away from, from Mark chapter 13 with. Here's Paul's thoughts. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's probably a little small. Uh, so if you want to turn there, that might be more helpful than the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. This is what Paul says uh, about the end times. And this is kind of his description. We said there's not going to be signs, right? I don't think there are signs. I think there are signs. Back up there and put a little caveat in this. I think there are signs. You're just not going to be able to figure them out because they look like they've looked for the last 2,000 years or so. So this is what Paul says about these signs. But understand this, that in the last day there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now, if that list doesn't sound like 21st century America, what does it sound like? I think Paul would say, it sounds an awful like like 1st century Rome. He's dealing, he's writing to his son in the faith, right? Uh, this letter is written to Timothy. Timothy is this young man that Paul cares a great deal about. If you were at, to ask Paul who were the most important couple of people to you on the planet, I think he, I think he names Timothy and Titus um, in top five. You know, These two guys were his sons in the faith, two men that he cared about very much. They were his work, his co-workers in the gospel. And so 
when Paul encounters a difficult situation that he can't physically be at himself, he sends one of these two men. He's got a couple other guys that can fill in this gap, but these two guys are his, his designated hitters, if we want to use a baseball term. <clears throat> he leaves Timothy in Ephesus. Ephesus is in a, a tough spot during Timothy's day. Picture this around the 60, mid-60s, 60, 64, 65. Second Timothy is, in fact, going to be the last letter that Paul will ever write. That, at least the, one that, the ones that we're aware of. He may have written other ones, but we don't have them anymore. So this letter, I think, uh, is, is the last one that Paul would ever write. And it's written to a man that he loved dearly. There's not an awful lot of sentimentality in this letter. If you were writing to someone that you loved, your, your top two or three people that you loved on the planet, what would you say to them as you were nearing the end of your life? I write a lot of I love you's. I write a lot of I'm sorry's, right? I write, I write a lot of I wish I could and I hope you will, right? You may write something similar. Paul doesn't write that. He writes an awful lot of doctrine. He, he writes an awful lot of you stay true. You hold fast. He's writing to Timothy these things because Timothy's right in the middle of the battle of his lifetime in Ephesus. There's an awful lot of false teachers that are in the Ephesian congregation. You remember when Paul founded this congregation, right? Back in Acts 17, 16, somewhere around in there. You can go back and you can read as Paul founds this congregation. He spends three and a half years in Ephesus. There's magic books there. There's some sorcery going on there. And they burn those books and they come to faith. But there's, there's, there's some intricacies going on in the Ephesian congregation that are going to raise their ugly head about 30 years later right here where even some of the elders in the church have become false teachers. And Timothy, this young man, maybe around my age, maybe even a little bit younger, is fighting against not just the, the false teachers who are elders, but the congregation as a whole, trying to just hold them together. And Paul writes this letter to him to kind of set the record straight. Here's what's going to happen in the last days. Here's a list of the things, there's some signs that, that people are going to be doing. Does that sound like Timothy would be like, yes, I, that's happening right now. I think he would. But also look around at our own culture and think, Paul, Paul nailed it. That's us, you know. Uh, especially this little bit about um, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. That sounds an awful lot like our culture, doesn't it? People who, who read Scripture but walk away and don't, don't understand what they just read. Point being, there's signs that are going to come at the end of time. But you're not going to be able to recognize them because they look just like they've always looked. Uh, verse 6, he says, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 7, uh, excuse me, verse 8, he says, just as uh, Yanes and Yambres opposed Moses, so the, these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they're not going to get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Do you know who Yanes and Yambres are? They were the two magicians in Egypt that Pharaoh called out when Moses threw down his staff. You remember this incident? 
Pharaoh walks into Moses, or sorry, I got that backwards. Moses walks into Pharaoh's courtroom and he says, God has sent me to tell you to let the Israelites go. And Pharaoh says, I'm not going to do that. I have a two million plus person workforce. I ain't letting them go. Not for your God, not for anybody. They're staying right here. And so Moses says, okay, let me show you the power that God has. And he throws down his staff and it turns into a snake. And Pharaoh is not all that impressed because he calls in these guys, Yanes and Yambres, and he says, do it. Do it too. And so they throw down their staffs. And sure enough, they turn into snakes, right? But do you remember how that story ends? God's snake eats their snake, right? Their power was befuddled. They end up not having all that much power. In fact, if you get to the next, I think it's the very next, um, the miracle, they don't know how it happened. And they can't reproduce it because they don't have any power, right? That's what Paul's saying about these people, uh, who, who these teachers that are going to come at the end of time and that are right now in the Ephesian congregation, uh, they're very soon going to be found out. And they're going to be disqualified um, because they're corrupted in mind and they're going to be disqualified regarding the faith. So, what's the end going to look like? Again, there's so much story, so much sensationalism around the end of time. So what's it actually going to look like? Well, the Bible talks about that, right? Uh, I didn't put the reference up here, up here but it's Second Thessalonians, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, be turning over there. You may want to mark this, mark this passage. Now, this is just a really easy one to go back to. Uh, when someone starts talking about the end of time, you'll say, well, the Bible talks about that. I can tell you exactly what, what's going to happen at the end of time. And it doesn't involve a thousand-year reign uh, of Christ. We can talk more about that later. We don't have time to deal in and troubleshoot that particular um, theology right now. They get it from a text in Revelation. Um, but it's obvious, notoriously oblique at any rate. Let me show you what is actually going to happen at the end of time. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul says these words. To the Thessalonian congregation that he has just founded, right? This, this, these, both these letters, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, are written months after Paul founds these congregations. He's forced to leave very quickly. And so after he leaves, he writes immediately back to them to clear up some questions that they had that he didn't have time to get through with them. And so one of these questions is, what's the end times going to look like? Because there's several members of the Thessalonian congregation that have already died. They've died inside of Christ, is how, how Paul's going to put it here. He's going to say they're, they're asleep inside of Christ, maybe the old King James says. So they're concerned that those people are going to be relegated to the back burner, as far as God is concerned, uh, that they're not, they're not going to get in on the reward um, that their, their sacrifice should be awarded. Right, And so the Thessalonians are concerned about that. And Paul says, no, 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 you've misunderstood. In fact, they're going to be blessed above those of us who are still alive when he returns. So this is what he says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So when Jesus comes back, those who have died inside of Christ are going to return with him. Now, are they going to touch the ground? Is this when he sets up the thousand-year reign? And these people are going to be like his, his generals or something? Listen to what he says, verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Right? Then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds. Not in Jerusalem. We're not marching on Jerusalem, right? We're caught up with them. We're changed. In the twinkling of an eye, our bodies turn into this glorified body. And we rise to meet those who have already died with Jesus. We rise to meet them in the clouds. He's not setting foot back here. We're going to meet him in the clouds. He's not coming down to meet us. We're going to meet him up in the clouds. See, then, then we who are left alive, who are left, will be called up together and with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So what's the second coming going to look like? What's it going to look like? Well, there's coming a day when you're going to be about your average business. And you're just going to be doing life like you're doing it right now. And all of a sudden, you're going to hear this cry. It's a command. I don't know what the command is going to be. I don't know whose voice it is. But I imagine the cry of command is something like, rise. Because that's what the dead in Christ do. Their bodies reincorporate. The bodies that have gone from back into dust and to ash, they reincorporate and they are glorified. They're not physical anymore, um, but they're different. They're changed. They're glorified. And so... They rise to meet Jesus in the air. And then those of us who are still alive are changed, transformed, glorified, like them, with new bodies. And we are transported to meet him in the air. There's not going to be a thousand-year reign. There's not going to be a throne in Jerusalem for Jesus to sit on. They can't find it. Like, it's not there. It's not like the Israelites haven't looked for David's throne. They looked for it. <laughs> they don't know where it is. After the Babylonians destroyed the temple uh, in 586 B.C. in Jerusalem, they destroyed everything. David's palace, the throne, the temple, all the things, they destroyed them. And the Israelites still, to this day, don't know where David's throne is. It's probably been melted down somewhere. They don't know where it is. And so to think that Jesus is going to sit on literally David's throne... Maybe we need to sit down and think more critically about that. Again, the story and the sensationalism around it is very impressive. But the biblical truth isn't in that theology, is it? We've read what it's going to look like at the end of time. And it just doesn't sound like premillennialism, does it? And so when's the end going to come? I don't know. Will there be signs? Yep. Are you going to be able to tell what they, what they mean? Nope. 
because they're the exact same signs that's been happening since Paul's day, and they're going to continue until the end comes. When the Father tells Jesus, it's time to go get my people. You need to be inside the church. You need to be inside the body that will be saved. That's the clincher, right? When he returns, he's coming back for his bride. You need to be in the church. Because those are the people, we are the people, who will be called up to meet them in the air. We're the ones who are going to inherit the promises. We are the ones who will be glorified. Everyone else, those who are outside, will be condemned. And so it's incumbent upon us to reach out to as many people as possible and tell them life-saving power. I don't know about you, but I felt uh, withdrawn over the last year or so. I've pulled back. I haven't talked to as many people. I certainly haven't touched as many people. Good gracious, don't be crazy. Touching people, right? Shaking hands. Ugh. So I feel like we've all kind of pulled back. Don't pull back on evangelism. Right now is the perfect opportunity for the church to stand up and start reaching out. I don't know if you noticed, but we've had a ton of visitors on Sundays. Look around the congregation next Sunday morning. You're going to see faces you might not recognize. Reach out to them. I think you're doing a great job so far. I just want to encourage you in that. Reach out to your neighbors. Reach out to folks at, at the store, if you still go to the store. Reach out to your Instacart driver, if not. Right? Now's the perfect time to reach out to people who don't know him and are hurtling toward Judgment Day unprepared. That was Jesus' word, right? You don't know when it's going to come, so you be prepared. We are the preparers. We're the ones who teach people how to be prepared. To encourage them to continue to stay awake, right? Maybe tonight you need to have your sins washed away to become a member of His church. He adds you to that body, and then you are part of the saved. Maybe you've already made that decision tonight. You just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be, to be a preparer, a prepared person who's ready to meet Him in the clouds when He comes with that cry of command. If you have any need tonight, why don't you come as we stand and sing.
some announcements from this morning. Our midweek Bible study will resume this coming Wednesday evening, May the 5th. There will be classes. We are needing volunteers to help with our summer mowing. The lawnmower gas is provided. All we need is a body. Keep Yvonne Cornell in your prayers. Her knee replacement was for this Tuesday. It has been postponed to later in the month. Keep Carol and Clinton in your prayers as they continue to find out when the surgery can happen with her. Dottie is having double knee replacement. That's gutsy. So keep her in your prayers. Also remember Kristen and Rusty and Wayne, and we're thankful that Randy Ash was able to be here this morning, and also Virginia Garlic was out this morning. We're thankful for that. Be sure to check the prayer list and today's bulletin sheet for those in need of continued prayers. Also a special request this evening. Portia texts Chris and asks, that we keep Trey in our prayers this week. There's a lot of things going on, and there's some positive things going on. So through all the difficult times in the last couple, two and a half, three years, keep Trey in your prayers. They'd really appreciate it, and I know he would. That's all. Dick, we'll have our closing prayer. We'll sing uh, the first, second, and last verses of 642. The Lord... My shepherd.
forgot. Is communion prepared for this evening? Should be in the room. Forgot to mention that. Forgot to talk about it. But if you haven't had communion, we'll make sure you do before you leave this evening. After you can leave after this prayer. Let us pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this day that we had to gather and to hear your word and sing songs of praise to you. Father, we are so thankful that we are gathered, gathered here this evening, that we're back together and worshiping in you. Father, we ask that you be there with those that are sick, those that are fighting disease, those that have been mentioned here today, Father. And Father, we ask that you be with Portia and Trey during this time and that you give them strength. Father, we, as we go out into the world, we ask that you be with us, guard and guide and direct us, that would be the light that you want us to be, and we spread your word to everyone, Father. Father, we thank you for Jesus, the love and the sacrifice that he made for each of us, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.